Life as a Trainee Pattern Attorney, Part 2. So welcome to the latest episode of Discover IP, the podcast where we bring you insights into the patent profession so that you can understand if it might be the career path for you. I'm Ben Chapman, a patent attorney here at Cartwells and Ransford, and today I'm joined again by my colleagues Maria Nicola and Brad Wilson, who are first-year trainee patent attorneys here at Cartmills. This is the second part of our three-part mini-series looking at the day-to-day life of trainees in their first year here at Cartmills. Last episode, we discussed the first three months after Brad and Maria walked through the door, and today we'll be talking about months four to six. So, Brad, Maria, welcome back. Hi, Ben. Hi, thank you. So, I suppose, just jumping straight in, what do you feel has been the biggest changes over the last three months since your first three months here? So I would say that I've accumulated more cases with certain clients, which has allowed me to have a little bit more of a bigger picture view of their entire portfolio strategy in terms of prosecution. And with one of the clients, especially, I've been able to join weekly calls where we discuss upcoming deadlines and plan for the actions that we need to take to help them develop their portfolio. I've had the opportunity to talk directly to the client about the cases that I'm working on to ask questions and propose strategy that I've thought about implementing. And I've also been able to see how the different cases that I'm handling fit together to cover a certain type of technology. So I've been able to see how each case builds on the next, what new innovative features they've developed in the technology and overall it's sitting on the calls has allowed me to see what other cases are going on in the portfolio that I'm not working on too to have more of an idea of the overall moving parts that are required for a successful client portfolio which has been really really useful. I think that's really interesting you're kind of starting to get deeper and deeper into how all the different cases interact with each other, which I think is really interesting. Because I know when we spoke last time, Marie, you were talking about how you became involved in this portfolio of patents and you made that transition from just kind of keeping track of everything to starting to put things together and come up with a strategy that go towards that. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially when I'm working on the prosecution of a case, and I encounter previous cases from the same client as prior art, I have a better idea of how I would like to argue that our new case is inventive and which specifically is the feature that makes it so. And it's great having that wider context to be able to put all those puzzle pieces together as they start to build up. And Brad, how about you? Yeah, pretty similar to Maria in that sense. I found myself being involved in a few client calls as well, which has been pretty interesting. Kind of similar to what you guys were saying previously about getting the wider context, seeing how all the cases fit together, because that context is pretty important when you're prosecuting the applications. For me, it's been pretty enjoyable doing client calls where you particularly get to speak to the scientists who have essentially acquired all the data that ends up in the patent. I think I had one about a month or two ago. So a lot of the time when you have the client calls, the clients are usually quite big, large pharmaceutical companies in chemistry. And so they'll have their in-house patent counsel, but also have the scientists on the call. It's quite interesting to see, you know, that sort of how the scientists, like how you take the job and you translate the science they're giving you into the law to actually protect their product. 
And it's a pretty interesting product where, in the face of it, it doesn't seem like an invention, but actually when you think about it, it is inventive and it does have real-world applications. So they'd taken a drug that already exists, but they'd reformulated it, in a sense, to make the pills smaller. And this is what they call a, a smaller pill burden. It basically means the pills are literally physically smaller in size, which on the face of it doesn't really seem like it has any advantage. But then when you speak to the scientists, they talk about how this sort of factor known as pill burden can affect how often children take pills. And so if you're able to formulate them smaller, they'll take them more often, and that's the invention. And it's only once you speak to the scientists you get that actual context. And then you're able to then talk to the in-house team and say, okay, this is how we can formulate arguments. We can say the smaller pills basically have this advantage that children will take them more often. This is an invention. You should give us a patent for 20 years. I think that's really interesting, Brad, because, you know, we talked about this last year. You were saying how you come in the door in those first couple of months, your contribution often is the technical knowledge that you've acquired over your studies because you're fresh out of your university course or your PhD and your your peak of your technical abilities and you're building up that legal knowledge. And it really sounds like you're starting to make that transition to applying that legal knowledge to the technical information that's coming in. Yeah, often how it works is, particularly when you start at Cartmills, the partners will get you involved in client calls, specifically because their legal knowledge is at its peak. But maybe they've started to become slightly rusty on some of the sort of more finer details of the science. You get pulled in to essentially go through the data with them before the call and then with the scientist and then help to translate it with their sort of legal knowledge. But the process is that while you're doing that, you then pick up the legal knowledge as well and then you learn for next time how to apply it. Yeah, and for me, that's one of the best aspects of the job is that osmosis of the legal knowledge that you get and you pick all these things up. So that's really interesting that both of you guys have had more direct interaction with clients in strategy and discussion meetings. Presumably, as you've been going on, you've picked up more cases, you're dealing with more deadlines and that sort of thing. How's that gone as your caseload has increased? Yeah, it's definitely been a process over the period between three to six months to think about time management, think about, for example, if there is a draft response deadline, I always think about how long is it going to take me to draft it? And then I have to consider how long it's going to take me to review it with the supervisor on the case. And we need to allow enough time to the client to review as well before we can file it. So it feels like there's several different things to manage there in terms of the timeline of an actual response getting out. And when there are multiple on the go, it becomes a little bit more complicated to think about. But I have enjoyed kind of managing my time and considering my capacity for work. I guess you have to be quite proactive about your time management and how much workload you can take on as well, because you have your ways to signal to people if you have capacity and if there are supervisors that you work with or closely, you can also just tell them and seek advice from them if they have any work, additional work to give you or if they can suggest something to do with your time. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, one of the best parts of the job is how much responsibility you have for manage your own time and manage the deadlines. One of the worst parts of the job is how much responsibility you have for managing your own time and managing those deadlines. So finding the balance between keeping yourself busy but staying on top of everything is definitely one of those skills that well, I certainly found that I was developing over the first year or two as a patent attorney. Questions whether or not I've actually still actually developed it at this stage, but there we go. 
Yeah, I think maybe like an important aspect to remember of the time management is you are like in a dynamic environment where things are constantly changing. So a lot of time you'll have what's called your case list, which will list all your cases in terms of deadlines. And you'll look at that first thing in the morning every day and say, okay, these are the things which are my top priority. But what can happen during the day is you can get a message from one of the partners and they'll say, oh, I need you to help me with this response. It's due tomorrow. In which case you then need to recalibrate all your deadlines to basically take account of that, which at first is a little bit daunting, but it's actually kind of, I quite like it because it kind of keeps you on your toes. It keeps you interested. It's certainly true. And I don't know how you found it. I think often the way of it is you start and you don't have a lot of cases on. And over those first couple of months, you're always very keen, very excited to get involved in things. You're looking for more cases, looking for more cases. And it's after a couple of months of the job, maybe at the stage that you guys were at at months four to six, that you start hitting that capacity, maybe overreaching slightly and having to recalibrate the number of cases you've taken on. Yeah, it can be difficult to, in the first sense, because, you know, you kind of have this sort of mental barrier about not taking work on because obviously you've just started and totally you're getting into the job and you want to learn as much as possible and see all the different types of cases. So it can be difficult sometimes to basically, like you don't want to say to someone, oh, I can't take this on. So the best thing to do is essentially just give them the context and say, okay, I have these deadlines coming up. This is when I could get it back to you. If that doesn't work for you, then we should try and maybe get someone else involved, one of the other trainees, for example. It's quite good because we're all, once again, these nurseries, a lot of time when we're given work, we talk to each other and we'll be like, oh, I've got this deadline coming up it's pretty soon. Would you be able to handle this work for me? And so it's quite good coordinating that way. So you're never you're on your own in that sense. Yeah, I think it's also what I found is supervisors are really communicative about deadlines and timelines that they need work done in. And they are very open with you being honest with them. I think it is valued for you to say, if you really can't do it, to say so rather than struggle and, you know, not be able to meet the deadline. I think there's definitely a focus on supporting you in managing your own time. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's important that people are able to communicate their own capacity and from your side and people supervising out, sort of communicating what's needed and what's needed when. As you say, there's lots of different trainees, and that's one of the great things about starting at a larger firm, and that means that the burden can be spread around when it needs to be. Speaking of that, I suppose you're still largely sat in the nurseries in the office, but over the last couple of months, have you noticed any changes in your working practices generally and the sort of responsibilities that you've been taking on? Yeah, so I would say that I've ended up working for maybe three or four people regularly, and they've been giving me more cases that are either with the same client or they're also handling that they would need help with. And I've been building a working relationship, I guess, with a few people. And as we're kind of getting to know how each person works, I think I've been given more trust and more responsibilities. For example, they would let me go away and kind of work things out on my own instead of giving me all of the details up front. And that is not to say, of course, that they're not there to support me, but it's more to say that I've been given more freedom, I guess, to try and work things out for myself first and then discuss with them later. Yeah, and I feel that's part of that two-way street, isn't it? You're 
getting to know the job more, but also the people that you're working with, they're getting to know you a bit more at the same time. So they're able to give you work and understand, you know, what level that you're at and what you'll be able to provide. Yeah, I think it's also good to remember that when you first come in here, you don't need to stick to your subject matter necessarily that your degree was focused on. So my background was essentially sort of like chemistry, like small molecule chemistry, synthesis, that sort of thing. But I actually find a lot of the time that I end up working on like medical devices and you end up working with clients which are quite big in the medical device industry. And then we talked last time about some of the cases that you had picked up, some of the first bits of work that you've started on. I suppose over the course of the time now, you've seen those cases develop. How's that been? I think I've been quite lucky in that I had a few cases that were in PACE. And sorry, Maria, just to jump in there to explain to any of our listeners, PACE is an exciting scheme that the EPL allows you to accelerate the prosecution of your patent applications, right? So what can take months or even years to turn around communications from the EPO can be rapidly accelerated. So sorry, go on, Maria. So I've had a few cases in PACE where I worked on a response. And so we've been able in the time frame to get a response back from the EPO, which has been quite exciting to see the progress of a case so quickly. And there was one was particularly rewarding because they accepted all of the arguments except for one. So I'll take that as good progress. And now we have to work out how to get over that final hurdle. I guess in terms of the EP entries that we did to start with, We've now started to get the 161 communication back, which is an invitation to file any voluntary amendments and in some cases also comment on any objections that were already raised in the search report in the international phase. So I've had the opportunity to think about those cases a little bit deeper than what are the correct dates and numbers for the filing form. I've been able to engage with the subject matter on them a little bit more. And I think it's quite exciting to be right at the start of the prosecution of a case because it feels like you can set the tone. Yes, rather than coming in partway through when there might have already been some correspondence. But I think that's interesting. You've been able to pick up cases where even within a few months, you know, you've written a response, you've got something back from the EPO, you're actually seeing the impact of your arguments and everything progressing through. And how about you, Brad? How's things developed for you? So... My experience is kind of different to Maria's in that I've not had the pleasure, I guess, of having applications in PACE. So all my responses that have been sent off, I've not heard anything back from yet. So I'm just assuming they're getting ready to issue the 71 freeze, which is the intention to grant after my amazing arguments. I'm sure that's the case. And until you're told otherwise, Brad, that's how you can assume it's going. Yeah, very similar to what Maria was saying there in that you come in those first few months and you're really just adding technical knowledge, helping out a lot with responses which are already halfway through their life and the process. Whereas when you start to get into like the six month mark, you're now given your own sort of written opinions where the examiners went through the patent application, stated which claims they think are novel and inventive and which ones they don't. And then you're essentially told to go away and think of possible arguments that we can make to rebut these arguments that the examiners made. And at first, that's quite daunting. I think anything which involves staring at a blank piece of paper can be quite daunting, especially when it's a particular area of like patent law. But, you know, you just sort of sit down, you do it, you go there, your supervisor goes through it and says, this is wrong, but you learn from that. And then next time you do it, you'll maybe make maybe 70% 
mistakes and then 50% and then hopefully after several months, you know, your responses are up to the mark. That's certainly what I found anyway. I think that's right. I mean, there's only one way to learn how to do the job, I think, and that's doing the job. And I think that's the great thing about working in the way that you work as a patent attorney, where you're working directly with a supervisor who's giving you a little bit of guidance, but fundamentally it's about you working up your own arguments and then having some feedback on those. Great. And I mean, all of this was based on some knowledge that you gained through the tutorials that you're having in your first few months. And I mean, have those still been running or has there been a bit of a shift there? The tutorials have started to taper off now. The essential of the learning and development program is structured such that when you first start, you get lots of tutorials and you don't have that much work, which makes sense considering you wouldn't be able to do a lot of it. And then as you're sort of equipped with more of the knowledge from the tutorials, they taper off and you start to get a heavier workload. So at this point, we're starting to find the tutorials are less often. In fact, I think we had our last one a few weeks ago. Yeah, and they've certainly been really helpful. And the resources from them, I find I often go back to check whenever I get a different type of communication. Or I think some of them, especially on the foreign law, have been a really helpful guide to get you started. Because if I find that if I get a case in a different jurisdiction, you kind of don't really know what to do because the different laws can have completely different definitions of certain things like double patenting or sometimes inventive step is also judged differently. And so it's good to have that introductory knowledge from the tutorials on how to at least start thinking about responses in different jurisdictions. Yeah, and the tutorials are a sort of combination of both um, sort of technical legal knowledge that Maria was speaking about there, but there's also some more, I guess the word would be holistic tutorials. My favourite tutorial was actually given by one of the partners here, Cameron Marshall, which was a sort of introduction to writing, which on the face of it can seem maybe a little bit basic, but it was by far the best tutorial for me in terms of leading with arguments or leading with conclusions. That one was very useful when you're starting to write responses. Yeah, I think the writing style was definitely something I've had to adjust to. And I guess I had to think about how to structure a compelling argument in my uh, studies as well. But I think here there's quite a lot of focus on that. And I have to really think about my wording and how to use language to my advantage, I guess. I mean, it's such a key part of the job, Maria. You're totally right the structure of your arguments and as you say even if you're totally used to writing technical content and even you know you're trying to make a point when you're doing technical writing in academia it is a different skill set I think the written arguments that you're providing and that you're taking on more responsibility I suppose you're developing those skills and well I suppose there's been lots and lots of changes in your work that you've been doing and the responsibilities you've been taking on but have you had a chance to get involved in other sort of initiatives and activities outside of your day-to-day work over the last couple of months? Yeah, I've joined the Race and Ethicity Network, which is one of our diversity and inclusion networks in the firm. And I've helped prepare some materials for Black History Month that went around the firm. And I've become a little bit more embedded now where we're planning the calendar for this year. So I've been able to put some ideas forward for new events. We're considering a collaboration with Book Club, which is another social activity within the firm where we get together 
every couple of months to discuss a book that we've read. And I think both Book Club and the Race and Ethnicity Network have been quite a nice way to meet other people from the firm and not just within the patent team as well. There will be people from the business side, from records that I would have otherwise probably not really had the chance to have a conversation with. So it's been really great to meet people from the other branches of the firm. Yeah, I guess I shout out to myself as I'm the captain of the Cartmills and Ransford softball team. We tend to have matches every two weeks and the idea is that we have matches with other patent attorney firms. And this is quite a good opportunity to sort of socialise with other patent attorneys before we go off to QM, where I think we go off in a few months. So often you'll meet patent attorneys there who've just started and you can sort of exchange like what you've been up to, what sort of cases they're working on and then essentially allows you to create a network before you actually start QM so that when you start that course you already know a good few people there. And just to give some context there for our listeners, QM, the Brad's referring to is the Queen Mary Intellectual Property Certificate, which is a couple of months university course that you do as part of your training and most patent attorneys do. And Brad, I know everyone is very grateful for you for organising the softball matches. That's a real tradition in the patent community in London is the trainee softball matches and a great source of pride whenever we're able to beat another team, I suppose. That makes it sound a lot more competitive than I think maybe it is. And you're right, Maria, it's great having these things that are going on outside of your day-to-day work that allow you to make these connections with other people inside the firm because it is such a big firm there's such a lot of people with lots of different jobs within the firm and different roles and even though you guys obviously all sat in the nursery you get to know the trainees get to know the technical teams that you're working with it's great to have those opportunities to meet more broadly at people working across the firm well that was a great whistle-stop tour of months four to six at Carbles and Ransford so thank you Brad thank you Maria for your time and we'll catch up with you again towards the end of your first year where you're gearing up for the Queen Mary course which we mentioned earlier so thank you for taking us through all that and thank you listener for coming and joining us here on Discover IP as you may know if you're listening to this I tend to end the episode by asking people what their favorite part of the job is Maria you had the pleasure of this last time so Brad your turn what's your favourite part of your job as a patent attorney? I'd probably say the variety of subject matter that you're exposed to on a daily basis. It's kind of like I was talking earlier. In the morning, you could be working on some sort of medical device, like a syringe, and you're having to argue why this is inventive because it has a flexible cannula that bends to X degree. And then you go away for lunch, and then you come back in the afternoon, and you're then doing research into like cystic fibrosis medications and how they work on a biochemical level. And it's just really interesting, that sort of variety of subject matter that you can work on. It just keeps the job interesting. And, it, and no days are really the same because you get different cases on completely different subject matter. And it's just really nice to just jump between them. I think that's so true. Well, thank you again, Brad. And thank you, Maria. And thank you for listening to Discover IP. I hope you'll join us again next time to find out about the next six months of Brad and Maria's time here at Carmel's and Ransford. Do subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about a career in IP, then visit cartmills.com forward slash careers. Or if you'd like to get in touch, then you can contact us here at recruitment at cartmills.com.